0: Settle down, settle down. Good morning, everybody. Today I will address some of the significant issues facing our nation and what God says about them. As you may or may not be aware, there are many people out of work. They do not have adequate food, health care, or education, and they need our help. But the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. And there are many people who suffer through tragedy, from natural disasters, to violent crimes, to disease and abuse. They are overwhelmed, they are struggling. But the Bible says, God won't give you more than you can handle. And we have all dealt with problems and challenges that we don't understand. Things happen in our world and in our lives that are beyond our control. But don't worry, because the Bible says everything happens for a reason. And if your lifestyle isn't what you want it to be, if you want a nicer car or a bigger house or just want more money in the bank, then speak it into existence. Because as the Bible and my mama always say, name it and claim it. Well, what then does the Bible say?
1: So glad to have Press Secretary Jay introducing our theme for these few weeks, fake news. That's not in the Bible, because now fake news is a thing. And it's a thing because we hear that term used all the time, either to refer to a news story that is completely fabricated, no basis in fact, and is intended to either be intentionally misleading or just to be clickbait. We also hear the term used... To refer to report or news that we just don 't like or don 't agree with, therefore it 's fake news and actually, I was listening to a podcast called the Liturgist. It was an episode from back in March, and they were talking about fake news and how to deal with and address and identify fake news and I really appreciated the practicality of some of their advice, things like take it and check the source. Is is there a named, reputable source that goes along with that bit of news that you're reading or that you've seen posted somewhere? They also said, check to see if they're accountable, whoever's publishing that or writing that. Do they have some kind of review board or do they publish retractions or edits or corrections? They also said, pay careful attention to the bits of news that really make you angry or afraid. Because you you might want to push pause and just reflect on what it is that's getting stirred up inside of you. They had other good advice too, like please be aware of satire and that sometimes what you read and what's been shared as a news story is just intended to be funny. Or to poke fun. So, if you aren't aware of what the onion is, (laughs) or in the church, the Babylon bee, you need to know these sources are not real. (laughs) And really, at the heart of that podcast, they were just saying listen, the, the work is on us to pay attention, to do our own homework, to dig a little deeper process and discern what we're reading and hearing because really the reason that fake news is a thing and has any impact is because well on on the one hand it, it sometimes taps into a predisposed opinion that we have and on the other hand it it can be effective because sometimes we can just be complacent and a little bit intellectually lazy and unfortunately, we're not immune to fake news in the church. And with the Bible, and particularly what the Bible says and doesn't say. And so here at Chapel Roswell, we've identified four bits of biblical fake news that we hear in our lives. Either we have said them or heard them shared. And so we started a couple of weeks ago with part one that. God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> and how that's not biblical. It's often said as a, maybe as a, as a motivational speech or sometimes as an excuse to not have to deal with somebody or help somebody. And really, it, it's probably more biblically accurate to say, God helps those who help others. But the truth is, God is our help and it has nothing to do with with our ability to help ourselves. Part two of our series was God won't give you more than you can handle. And that's not in the Bible. We don't blame God for everything that happens in the world and in our lives. And really, it's better said, instead of saying God won't give you more than than you can handle, It's better said that God will make a way. God is with you, and God will make a way. So this week, we turn to part three of the series, and this bit of fake news that we'll address today is, everything happens for a reason. You've probably heard that before, maybe even said it before, I have. And really, on the face of it, that's not even a religious or spiritual statement on its own. Everything happens for a reason. Now, there are, you know, spiritual cousins to this one, things that say, like, you know, God has a reason, or, well, it's God's will. And you know the scenarios when something like this comes up or is said, it's it's usually... In a time of disaster or tragedy, loss, and, and we don't know what to say. And so we say, well, everything happens for a reason. When a child gets a cancer diagnosis or... You lose your job, or your spouse catches you completely out of the blue and asks for a divorce, or there's a natural disaster, or you're at the bedside of someone who's terminally ill, and you don't know what to say. And so it's not uncommon for us to say, well, everything happens for a reason. But really, what does that even mean? I mean, are you talking about everything has a cause? Everything happens for a reason? Something caused it? Are you saying that everything has a purpose or an outcome? So everything happens for a reason? Or both? And again, it's not uncommon for something like this to be said out of a deep sense of care and compassion and sincerity and love. When we're just at a loss for words and explanation. Unfortunately, sometimes it's also not uncommon for this to be said. Out of a sense of complacency and just a lack of a desire and interest to do the hard work intellectually or theologically, to understand life in our world and our relationship with God. And so we end up saying something like, well, God has a reason, or it's God's will, or everything happens for a reason. Take, for example, the... Earthquake and tsunami that hit northeastern Japan in 2011. Do you remember that disaster? It was a 9.1 magnitude earthquake, one of the five strongest in recorded history, that triggered a 23 foot high tsunami that devastated that area of Japan. Do you remember seeing the pictures and the videos of just that wall of water that came over into the city and turned all of the streets into rivers and washed away everything? And then that earthquake also caused the failure of a nuclear reactor at the Fukushima power plant. And as a result of all of that, the earthquake, the tsunami, the nuclear reactor failure, over 15,000 people died. Over $300 billion of damage was done. That part of our world was wrecked in every way, shape, and form. You know, as of two years ago, there were still about 2,500 people who were missing, have not been accounted for. And over a quarter of a million people who are still living in some type of temporary shelter or housing. Incredible tragedy. And about three days after it happened, the mayor of Tokyo was giving a press conference, and he said that that disaster was a divine punishment for their nation because they needed to be cleansed of their self-centeredness and egoism. I don't know about you, but that brings to mind for me the televangelist Pat Robertson and, and the people like him here in the States when Hurricane Katrina devastated Louisiana in 2005, And they called that God's punishment for Louisiana and for our nation, for our host of sins. It breaks my heart when people, especially Christians, say something like that in a time of tragedy and disaster. To say, oh, well, God has a reason for that or everything happens for a reason. Thank God that most of us have stopped blaming natural disasters and tragedies on God. I'm thankful that we've come to understand things like cellular biology and plate tectonics, environmental science. And so if If our faith doesn't teach us that everything happens for a reason, then what does it teach us? One of the places that I think we can look to find an answer to that question is in the New Testament in the book of Romans, specifically Romans chapter 8, Paul writing to the church at Rome, and he opens that chapter, chapter 8, by making a wildly audacious and bold claim that God in Jesus has done the impossible, has made a way for a world that is deadened by hostility and selfishness to come alive with peace and with hope. And then he goes on to say, and we're living in the birth pains The anticipation of the completion of this impossibility becoming a reality. And I want to pick up in verse 24 of Romans chapter 8 and read for us Romans 8, 24 through 28. And it's going to be up on the screens. And this is what it says. We were saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that's not hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't yet see, we wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray. But the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints consistent with God's will. We know that God works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And see, I think there Paul gives us a much better answer than everything happens for a reason. In times when we don't know what to say, and especially in times of disaster or tragedy, grief or despair, because Paul says we're saved, we're restored, we're redeemed, we're set free. In hope. And hope, my brothers and sisters, I feel like sometimes is in short supply in the world we live in, or at least it doesn't get very much airtime. And I put along with that the divine inspiration and imagination that makes hope possible. And when we talk about hope, Christian hope, I'm not talking about crossing your fingers. Or throwing a coin in a fountain. Christian hope is an active anticipation of salvation, deliverance, the world being set right. But also in those verses, Paul acknowledges that as we live set free by hope, actively anticipating what God has in store through the midst of everything, Paul acknowledges that we have our own weaknesses. We struggle in the midst of life and this world and living as people of hope. We struggle to understand. We struggle to know what to say because we don't have all the answers. And this is where we're tempted to fall back on. Everything happens for a reason. But what Paul says is in those times, in those moments, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Praise with us, prays for us. The spirit that the Bible calls our counselor, our comforter, our guide, our intercessor, our intermediary, that the Holy Spirit of God lifts up our even our unspeakable, unutterable prayers, the groans that come from deep within us especially when we don't know what to say or even what to pray. You know, I I would argue you may be better off saying nothing at all than saying simply everything happens for a reason. But see then Paul writes the rest of the good news and what he says is for anyone, for everyone who has Some sense, who has any sense of the love of God and love for God. Anyone who has any inclination to live life in the light of the love of God. For any and everyone. Then God works in the midst of everything, all things. God works through all things for good. To bring about what is good and right and holy for us and for our world. God is in it. God is in this. Like the 23rd Psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we can live as people of hope, even if in the moment or in that season, all we can muster is a groaning prayer and then maybe eventually a glimpse of a better future. And then in time, even an expectancy that God will work, that God is working in it and through it and will bring about good. And by the way, if we're alongside someone or people who are going through the midst of a tragedy, a struggle, a loss, then we don't just simply say everything happens for a reason. We say, God is in this. God is with you in this. And so am I. One of my favorite modern-day theologians, N.T. Wright, wrote a book called Surprised by Hope, and he talks about being able to say that as a follower of Jesus, that God is with you in this, and so am I. He said, people who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. So it's not sufficient to say, well, everything happens for a reason. Rather, we say, God is with you in this, and so am I. And part of this challenge and the struggle is we look for purpose, we look for explanation, we look for reason, sometimes even blame and cause. But it's not God's Purpose, God's will or God's reason that we would go through any particular event or circumstance. And it, it's not God's reason or will necessarily even the outcome of that. But rather it's the will of God that we would go through that with the love of God and with each other. That's God's loving intent and purpose for us all and for our world. Back to that tsunami in Japan. If you saw what happened as a result since 2011, almost a million people have volunteered, have given of their time to go and assist in the relief and the recovery that's taking place there. And about $500 billion has been given to try to help the people, our brothers and sisters who live in that part of Japan, get their lives back, restore their community. In fact, the United Methodist Church which we don't really even have a presence in Japan, not much of one to speak of in terms of having churches or congregations. I mean, we do things like relief work, obviously. We do things for, to support and work for people missionally, agriculturally, or to fight human trafficking, but not, not really any congregations in Japan per se. But the United Methodist Church raised over $12 million to send to be a part of the relief effort for our brothers and sisters there. That's one of the things I I value and I appreciate about being United Methodist is because we have an arm of our church that we call UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, and its sole purpose of existence is to help the United Methodist Church send relief wherever in the world there is a tragedy or a disaster And in fact, the way it functions is all of the overhead costs of UMCOR are paid for by the local United Methodist churches. We all contribute money to put that framework, to have it in place, so that when there is a disaster and people want to give to it, you can give specifically to help relieve, say, the people in Japan after that earthquake and that tsunami, and every dime you give goes directly to relief because all the overhead is covered by the regular giving of the church. I think that's important, and I think that's a witness to our world that when a tragedy happens, we're not gonna say to our brothers and sisters, Oh, I'm sorry, everything happens for a reason. What we're gonna say is, God is with you in this. This is awful, this is terrible. It's not the way God designed the world to function. But God is with you in it. And so are we. So every time you give here at Chapel Roswell, remember that a portion of what you give goes to keep the framework of umcor in place to cover those administrative and overhead costs so that when there is a disaster we can give directly to it and and when you do every dime you give will go straight to that relief effort. You know this communion meal that we're going to share together in just a minute and by the way if you've never done this there's a card in your pew that explains communion and I encourage you to give it a read at some point if you want to just to understand why we do it and the significance and what it means. But I'll tell you one thing that it means, especially for us right now today, considering the news, the fake news that everything happens for a reason, and the good news that says, you know what, the point here is God is with you in this, and so are we. And this communion meal embodies that. This was God's way of saying, I'm with you in this, that God came to us, stepped out of the eternal and the everlasting and set foot in our world to say, I'm with you in this. And in the moments of brokenness and grief and loss and tragedy, when we're at a loss for words, we don't know what to do or to say. In our darkest place, God went there in the person of Jesus all the way to his death. To a painful, humiliating death on a cross. And said, I'm with you. Now and always. And he gave his life. And then he told us to share in this meal together. And every time we do, it's a way for us to remember and be reminded that God is with us in this. But it's also a way for us to remember and be reminded that we're in this together. We're sharing in this meal together. We don't go through this life and its struggles and pain and grief alone. God is with us. And we do it together. We have each other. And so in, in just a minute, we're going to have people positioned around the room and invite you to come and receive communion. This is a, a sacred act. I mean, it's a sacrament of the church. And the way we understand our experience of communion is when we come to this table to receive the bread and the juice, we come looking for Jesus. We come looking for God. God promises to meet us here. So I want to ask the people who are going to help to serve, if if they would come on up right now, and we'll serve them, and then they'll take their places, and you'll be invited to come and receive. Jesus took bread when he... shared this meal with his disciples and he broke it. And he told them, this is my body. Broken for you. Take it and eat it and every time you do, remember me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you and for everyone for the forgiveness of sin so that there could be hope. And life, even in our darkest times. He said, Take it and drink it, and every time you do, remember me. And so that's what we're gonna do today share in this meal and remember him. And I wanna tell you, you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to come and receive this meal we just invite you to come looking for Jesus with a heart and a mind open to where God might be engaging you right now. And we'll serve the meal by intinction, which basically means somebody will break you off a piece of the bread and hand it to you, and then you dip it in the cup of juice, and then you can have the bread and the juice together. And there'll be four stations here on the floor. We're going to bring it up to the balconies as well. So just to make it orderly, if you would, if you'll come out of your seat to your left and come around to the station that'll be right in front of your row or your section of pews, come out to your left. They'll give you the bread, you dip it in the juice, and then you can go back to your right to your seat. If you need uh, gluten-free bread, they'll have that as well. So you just let your server know that and they'll give you the gluten-free bread. But I don't ask you before we share in this meal, if, uh, if you would bow your heads and we'll pray God's blessing for it. And we'll make as our prayer, the, the truth, the good news, that no matter what it is, rather than trying to always assign purpose, cause, blame, or <laughs> discover. <sighs> could we focus on the truth that no matter what it is, God goes with us through it and God works in it And through it for good. And that we share in that together as brothers and sisters in the family of God. God, we thank you for the good news. That even in the face of tragedy and loss, in the most painful or darkest places, That you are with us, that you walk with us, that you go through it with us, and that you work through it for good, and that you call us to be a part of that together. What an amazing thing. What an incredible claim that that is the work you are doing in our world even today. God, thank you for the hope of that for us and for everyone. And especially right now, we thank you for this meal, this holy meal of bread and juice that remind us that you go with it through us, that calls us to know that we go through it all together. So God, we ask your blessing for this bread and juice. Would you make it be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we could be the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by his blood. This is our prayer together today.